Pastor Zach is going to come and minister the Word of God. Open up, get ready to receive. Thank you, thank you. Scoot up a little bit so I'm not so far. Well, good morning. It is good to be gathered together on another Sunday. Uh, I'm very excited to be headed over to, uh, to Rwanda tomorrow. It's, uh, I've been, for those of you guys who have been around, you know that I've been, I've been teaching a, a group of pastors from Rwanda online for the last probably four months or so, a little bit more than that, four or five months. And it's been very rewarding seeing what the Lord is doing through uh, through that ministry, just in, in helping instruct. I had one student, he's kind of over, he's like our, our connecting point for all the students that we have there and our faculty and staff that we have at the university. And uh, I was talking with him because he's going through the courses as well. And he took my homiletics and preaching lab course. And homiletics, just the process of proclaiming and teaching God's word and, uh, and doing that by looking through scripture and what we call, it's called exegesis and not eisegesis. Exegesis is where you break down scripture and then you see how that's, that scripture can speak to you in your life um, in that point in time. Eisegesis is where you try to read yourself into the text and that becomes very dangerous because you start to make up your own interpretations that does not quite align with the biblical text as well. And so we see that a lot when people take like, you guys have probably seen this a million times, people do this on Facebook all the time and stuff. Uh, they'll take one passage of scripture, like a little verse, they'll pluck it out, they'll post it, and that'll be the thing at the top, and then they'll write about all the things that they can complain about <laughs> right after that, and why they're validated in that one scripture. And that's not super correct if they're not going through and seeing what scripture actually has to say about certain things. And so um, I'm hoping, I taught a, a teach a class, I'm on my third round of it right now, um, finishing up, I'm having a great sermons and stuff, but um, one of the, that guy, his name is Bosco, Bosco went through that course, and he was meeting with me over Zoom, and he said, listen, I had no clue how untrained we were until I went through this class. He was like, we were just, he said, sometimes they would show up to church, a lot of people who were in their network, they would show up to church, they would open up their Bible, they would read a verse, they would close their Bible, and they would walk away from the podium and just start talking about whatever it is that they wanted to talk about at that time. And uh, they, there would be no preparation, no studying, no anything like that beforehand. So they would literally show up and say, the Holy Spirit's going to speak. I'm going to read the scripture. I'm going to close it. And then I'm just going to talk for a long time. And he was like, we weren't looking at the biblical context. We weren't looking at the biblical history. We weren't looking at anything, how it connected elsewhere in scripture. Is what we're saying, is that accurate to the rest of the, to the, of the, rest of the Bible? Is this accurate to any of that stuff? So he was like, I was very stretched in that class, and he was very appreciative. And so, I uh, appreciate anybody who who uh, gave towards that trip. It's a it's a blessing uh, to be a part of a body who wants to uh, see the gospel move even outside these four walls to uh, to different communities and different nations and things like that. So, um, I'm very excited. I'm hoping to take some some footage. I bought some equipment so that I can uh, I can take some video while I'm there and hopefully make a little recap video of of the trip while I'm over there too. So, I'm hoping to get that accomplished. Uh, while I'm out there as well, too. Okay, so let's move on. I know it's 1130, so I'm, I'm going to get to scooting. Um, oh, yes, Kingdom Legacy. That is our conference that we're having in October. So make sure, thank you for the reminder, Kevin. Um, make sure that you guys are aware of that. We have a face Facebook event on our Facebook page talking about it. Uh, it's going to be a great conference. We have a, a lot of people coming in from different places that are connected to the ministry October 20th through the 22nd. Uh, it's going to be a great time. Get to celebrate our 20th anniversary as a church, as a ministry, and then uh, and then also just 
get together with all the different people in our network. So that's going to be a great time. So we're going to continue on uh, a passage that we talked a little bit about last week. Uh, it's called from the, the title of the message is called Cleanse Your Temple. Uh, this one is going to go through the sons of Eli. Sons of Eli. Last week, we talked about Nehemiah chapter 13 and how uh, you see some representation of deliverance inside of this and how it's a, a good depiction where the, the Israelite priests allowed Tobiah, uh, an enemy of the Israelites, he was an Amorite, to come in and live in the place called the storehouse inside the temple. If you remember that place, we talked about it. It was a place where they would, they would store all the offerings, um, all the, for the grain offerings. They would store all the, all the items needed to participate in, in worship the way that God had, had designed for the temple to be used in. And so they allowed this guy, Tobiah, to live inside the temple in this storeroom. And what happened was is that because he was occupying that space, they weren't allowed or they weren't able to participate in worship the way that they needed to. All the Levites and priests actually had to go back. They were driven out into the countryside to go and try to provide for their families. And so because one enemy was, was dwelling inside of that temple, it did not allow an entire nation to participate in worship the way that they were supposed to by God's design. And so Nehemiah came in and drove Tobiah's stuff out. He tossed all his things outside the temple and drove him out of that place. And so it was a, it was a powerful thing to do because then he called back all the priests and all the Levites to come back and to, to, uh, to start the worship process again so that the nation can then honor God in the way they were supposed to. And how this is, this is very familiar for us many times because whenever we are caught in idolatry or when we allow the enemy to have a foothold in our life, it disallows us from the ability to worship God truthfully in the way that we were designed to because we're too preoccupied with other things. And sometimes it could just be one, one specific thing. It just took one person, one enemy of the, of the Israelites to live in the temple that caused an entire nation not to be able to worship the Lord. So one, one individual caused a multiplicity of individuals, caused them not to be able to worship adequately. And so sometimes it could be one habit that we have that causes us not to be able to worship the Lord in, in the, the, the truthful nature that we should be. And sometimes it's, it's because of ignorance. Sometimes we, we're just ignorant to the fact because we're not reading into Scripture and seeing what Scripture says. Other times it's a, it's a process where we know it's wrong. We know we're not supposed to be doing it, but we continue to do it anyway. The priests knew that they should not have someone living in that location the way that they did. They knew that the temple was supposed to be a place where you would also be able to store things and you would have all these different individuals serving in the temple in the capacity that the Lord asked them to because that was written all throughout the time of Scripture and even in their own tradition. So they knew traditionally that this is what it was supposed to happen as well. And so today, what I want to go through is I want to go through a passage in 1 Samuel. We're going to start in, in chapter 2. Uh, chapter 2, verse 11 is where we're going to be at. And just to catch you up from where we are in this book, um, it talks about a, a, a woman named Hannah who was barren. She had a husband who loved her deeply, loved her a lot, but they, they were unable to have children. And she was... Uh, she came to a place where they uh, visited the temple and she was weeping before the Lord in prayer, weeping and asking the Lord to provide for the thing that she desired most, which was to be able to bear a child. And Eli, the, the temple priest, he thought she was drunk. 
that she was, have you guys ever done this? You, you're, pr- you're praying, but you're not like saying words, but your mouth is moving because you're like, wor- like mouthing the words. You guys ever done that before? Yeah, so he was like, this, this, this lady is drunk in the temple right now because she is just moving her lips and she is like in, in a complete disarray. Like she's weeping, she's sobbing and just moving her lips. She, this lady had way too much wine, okay? <laughs> we were not supposed to do that during communion, okay? That's too much of that. Settle down, lady. And uh, she told him, she was like, this, this is not wine. I'm, I'm in prayer. And, uh, and so we're, we're catching up to this position. And so in 1 Samuel chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 11, it says this. Then, then Elkanah, <coughs> which is the, the husband of Hannah, went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord unto Eli the priest. So bringing back up here as well, too, uh, Hannah ended up being blessed by Eli, and the Lord opened up her womb. She was able to have a son, and she told the Lord, if you give me a child, I will dedicate this child to serve you for all of his days. I will get him to the position to where he doesn't need to be, uh, to, to, to need his mother or, or whatever, to where he's not like having to take milk. He can eat food on his own, do all those things, and then I will dedicate him to the temple, and he can serve there for the rest of his days. And so she brought him, and, uh, and it says here in verse 11 that, uh, that the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest, so he was like his little right-hand guy um, in, the, in the temple of the Lord. And it says in verse 12, Eli's sons were scoundrels, scoundrels. These guys served in the temple as well. Uh, they were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priests that whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand while the meat was being boiled and would plunge the fork into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. Whatever the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the person who is sacrificing, give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the person said to him, let the fat be burned first and then take whatever you want, the servant would answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. So backstory about that is that there were specific directions and directives that the Lord gave on how the priests would be provided for in their, in their service. So part of the sacrifice, um, whenever they would go through and boil it, it would be provided for the priests so that they can have something to eat because they were not at home working. They, their job was serving the presence of God in that place. And so the sacrifice would be given for the Lord, and then a portion of that would be given to those who worked within the temple. And so that was a standard that they had set throughout that time. But what these guys were doing is that they were saying, nope, you're going to give me what I want, and I'm going to take it and use it however I want to. And the Lord was very displeased with this because they were now abusing the contribution that was supposed to be made to them so that they can just live and they could survive there. And it was, it was supposed to be great, but they were taking full advantage and then like even threatening people with violence if they didn't hand over their meat essentially for that horrible horrible but samuel was ministering before the lord a boy wearing a linen ephod each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice eli would bless elkanah 
and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home, and the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the son Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel. Listen to this. How they slept with the woman who, who, women who served at the entrance of the tent meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, the report I hear spreading among the Lord's people is not good. If one person sins against another, God may mediate for the offender. But if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for them? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. Now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, this is what the Lord says. This is, this is something, hold on, let's, let's talk about this for a second. Usually when you hear this story, people pick up at Samuel um, being called by the Lord. Isn't that typically where you hear this story? You're like, okay, there was a lady named Hannah. Gave birth to a dude named Samuel. He was given to the temple, and then he was hanging out in the temple, and the Lord said, Samuel. And then he did that whole thing. We'll read that in a second, but that's typically where people pick up. We, we forget about this part right here. This part is actually like, extremely intriguing to see. That first, it was very well known that, that Phineas and his brother were scoundrels. These dudes were not good. They were doing all kinds of ridiculousness. They were taking advantage of the money that was given into the temple. They were taking the, the offerings that were given in inadequate ways, forcing their hand against people, and then also sleeping with all the women who were serving outside the temple gates as well. So they were horrible representations of what it meant to serve the house of the Lord. And then Eli was even one who heard all these reports and then confronted them and they decided not to change any of their behavior they thought this is just what i need to be doing this is fine dad's crazy i'm just going to keep doing this stuff and so this man of god came to eli and said to him this is what the lord says did i not clearly reveal myself to your ancestors family when they were in egypt under pharaoh <laughs> you know it's not going to be a great prophecy whenever it starts with that <laughs> He was like, look, I'm going back to Egypt. Let's, let's tell, let me tell you about something that's about to happen right here. <laughs> Did I not clearly reveal myself to your ancestors' family when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your ancestor out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar to burn incense, and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your ancestors' family all the food offerings presented by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? That's a huge piece right here, too, because that means that if they were taking the fat pieces, this is the these were the things that were offered to the Lord as sacrifice. This was supposed to be the choice piece that was offered as a beautiful sacrifice unto the Lord. But they were taking the choice pieces for themselves and offering whatever it was that they wanted to in the midst of that. So they were taking advantage of the contributions that were coming in that were supposed to be used for the glorification of God, to give God the glory, to give God the honor, and to see his will done in the midst of the assembly. 
they were taking it and they were abusing the rights that they had as leaders in the temple. The Lord was ticked. Ticked. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that members of your family would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me will be disdained. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your priestly house so that no one in it will reach old age and you will you will see distress in my dwelling. Although good will be done to Israel, no one in your family line will ever reach old age. Every one of you that I do not cut off from serving at my altar, I will spare only to destroy your sight and sap your strength and all your descendants will die in the prime of life. Yikes. And what happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, will be assigned to you. They will both die on the same day. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. I will firmly establish his priestly house, and they will minister before my anointed one always. Then everyone left in your family line will come and bow down before him, for a piece of silver and a loaf of bread and plead, anoint me to some priestly office so I can have food to eat. <laughs> you see what he did there? The Lord specifically spoke, and allow me to do this so that I can have food to eat. They were taking full advantage of the things that were supplied to them, taking the Lord's choice, sacrifice, and eating and indulging in all those things. Eli allowed these things to happen even further because, of course, he did rebuke them at first, but there was no action that came after that rebuke. If they continued to do those things, there should have been a harsh removal as they didn't turn from their wicked ways. And so he said, your lineage will come to this new priest asking if they could have just food to eat. The thing that you are overindulging yourself in that was supposed to just be provision. You've taken so far advantage over top of it that now it will be scarce and hard for you to even come by provision because of what you'd allowed in my house. Let me continue on chapter three. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visitors. <coughs> just between those two chapters, just those two chapters, that, that verse and the first verse. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. From that word of rebuke that the Lord gave Samuel, or sorry, that the Lord gave Eli, there were not many people who heard much after that time. When we allow wickedness to dwell in our, in our heart, it becomes very hard for us to adequately listen to the Holy Spirit. When we are pursuing after things that dishonor God, 
seeking after our own greed, our own things, of course it's harder to listen to his voice because you're squandering and squelching any kind of conviction that could come to you in those moments. Sometimes it's, uh, I, know that, I know that there's a lot of, a lot of sayings like, God is always talking. Uh, he's, he can be pretty silent at times too. <laughs> he's not saying a whole bunch. And in that silence, you can kind of read, ooh, there's some, there's some, there's some not right here. <laughs> I, I feel like I should be hearing from him a little bit more, but I don't think he's super excited right now about what's happening. And so when we walk out in things that are, that are wicked and things that are not honorable to the Lord, at times he will, he will pull his voice from you so that you can find, I, I'm missing something and I need I need this. Sure, you can open up the scripture and you can start reading through and then find conviction there. His word is everlasting in that. But you need to also respond to conviction in your heart. He is faithful to convict us. Verse 2, it says, One night Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, so it's prophesied just a few verses ahead of that, that his strength was going to be sapped and his eyesight would be horribly affected. His eyes were becoming so weak he could barely see. He was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. <coughs> then the Lord called Samuel. And this is where we get that that beautiful story of him sitting there and he hears, Samuel, Samuel. So Samuel gets up and he runs over to Eli. Eli, you call me? He's like, I didn't call you. What are you talking about? Go back, go, go lay down. Crazy kid. So he goes, lays back down. Samuel, Samuel. It's Eli guy. I don't know what the deal is. Let's get up, walk back over. Eli, what's up, dude? I'm here. He's like, I don't, I don't. Yeah, this was not me, and then he realizes something special is happening right now. <clears throat> the Lord is speaking to this boy. He said, listen, the next time you hear your, your name called, go lay down. The next time you hear it, you respond, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel goes back, lays down. Samuel, Samuel. Speak, your servant is listening. And in verse 11, he says this. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, here I am. What was it that he said to you? Eli asked. Do not hide from me. May God deal with you be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. Listen, 
when the voice of the Lord is so scarce in your life, you will listen to anyone who hears from him. Regardless if it is good or bad, you just know that you miss his voice being a part of your life. So I can imagine Eli was very excited. I don't, I mean, he may not have even slept that night. I don't know. The scripture doesn't, doesn't say anything like that, but I can imagine when the word of the Lord is very scarce in a time and you have someone who is very close in proximity to your life, all of a sudden you realize that the Lord is about to reveal something to them. You want every detail and you hope that they remembered every word, every inflection of his voice, everything that was said and how it was said. And so Eli laid the pressure on him. Look, listen, let the Lord deal severely with you. If you don't say what he told you, you tell me. And so verse 18, so Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. I don't know how often you feel like you've been chastised or, or rebuked by the Lord or anything like that, but I can't imagine this is our, our everyday response to, to correction. <laughs> the Lord told him uh, the things that were going to happen because he allowed wickedness to dwell in the house of God. And his response was not yelling or shouting or asking, Lord, please hold your hand against, uh, restrain your hand against us. He said, L listen. He is the Lord, let him do what is good in his eyes. He knew, he knew, he knew what was about to happen and still said, this is, this is the Lord's judgment. This is what the Lord wants to do. So if it's good in his eyes, let him do it because he is the Lord. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. We find out later in scripture that there was a huge battle that occurred, and many things that happened, and Hophni and Phinehas ended up dying on the same day as, as it was prophesied. When word came to Eli about his sons, he also fell dead that very moment that he heard the things that happened to his sons. Samuel became the voice for Israel in the direction of what needed to happen in the nation, revered as a prophet of the Lord. This serves as a good example in cleansing the cleansing your temple. The the Lord is it, it, he's he's shown a lot of times we're like oh my gosh this was just really harsh this was I don't know if that was like what the Lord should have done like sometimes we start to question God's grace in the middle of this story. Anybody ever done that before? Like you're like dude this that was that was rough. <laughs> like he was like you're gonna go blind, you're gonna lose your strength, your two sons are gonna die on the same day, and your lineage will will die in their prime. 
like, dude, God, what's, what's up, man? Like, did you wake up on the wrong side of the bed today or something? This is wild. I, I don't know if I would have reacted this way. But in reality, God's grace is seen all throughout this passage here. All throughout it. You see, reports had come to Eli many times. It wasn't just one report. He said, all of Israel knows of what you've done and what you're doing. There are reports that have come all over of what's happening. Why he just And he just questioned, why is it that you guys are doing this? And then that was it. There was nothing else afterwards. If you go through, and I'm not going to belabor these points. I don't want to keep us too long. But if you go through, there, there are certain directives of what should happen whenever someone was doing some of the things that they were doing within the temple in Scripture. And Eli did none of those things to bring correction. And he allowed those things to continue and continue and continue. And then the word of the Lord came from that man of God to Eli about what was going to happen. See, there's grace that we have in the middle of our struggle, in the middle of these things. It's not just, a lot of times it's easy for us to read through scripture. And we just read through like most of Samuel's life from pre-birth all the way through to you know, being a young man, uh, there's a lot of years that pass through in that time that we, you can read through in a, in a couple chapters. Very easy. And so it's easy for us to be like, wow, that was pretty quick. But there's a lot of time that passes through that God allows for correction to be able to be made and for the ship to be righted. But it's in complacency that we find that, that the Lord will, will bring correction by his own hand instead of just his voice. And so it's important for us to also realize, Lord, what is it that is going on in my life that may not be pleasing to you? Could it be out of ignorance? Sure, there's some things that could be out of ignorance. You know what we need to do in the middle of that? We need to be faithful students of the word so that we can know what he's asking of us. Read and see how Jesus lived his life. What he did when he was, was approached with harsh words or how he responded to religious leaders or how he responded to um, to people who were unbelievers, even people who were very different in, in his culture and society, people that his, his own people, the Israelites, were against the Samaritans and even how he treated those who culturally it was acceptable to completely shun. We need to see how Christ did things. We need to study and know what is it that you're requiring of us in this time, in this season, in this place. Are we, are we open to hearing his voice and then responding to his voice? If we are, then you will find that he will course correct us as time progresses. That he will lead us in a great place. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He's a good shepherd, and as a good shepherd, he wants to restore us to who he's, he's designed for us to be. But if we refuse those moments of resting in his presence and listening to his voice, then your soul will not be restored into its place that it needs to be in. Because guess what happens after the still waters? After the restoration of the soul. 
Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. He doesn't start Psalm 23. I will lead you into the valley of the shadow of death, hoping that you make it out on the other side because paradise lies, lies there where you can finally rest and have your soul restored. He starts off, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's the very first thing that we need to understand about God. Is that he's a good shepherd and his provision is greater than anything else that we could try to muster up on our own. Hophni and Phinehas decided they wanted to take their own provision and to remove it from the Lord. He's a good shepherd. You actually will be in a place of not wanting or not needing things. If, if he dresses the lilies, takes care of them, if, if even sparrows are provided for, then how much more does our Father in Heaven desire for you to be provided for, to be cared for, to be tended to? He's a good shepherd. And then, because you know that he is your provider, he provides you with the things that you need, he also restores your soul. With a restored soul, you can then walk into the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil. Because you know that what? He is with you. And then his rod and his staff, as a good shepherd, they actually comfort you. The correction and the direction, you, you value that because you know that it is in the correction that he's going to lead you into a good place. Because he is a good shepherd, making it to where you don't have to want or desire for those things and, and, and wonder if you're going to make it another day. You know that he's the one that restores your soul, so when he brings correction and when he guides you into a different spot, you know it's because he's a good shepherd and you shall not want. And he makes you to lie beside green pastures, leads you beside still waters and restores your soul. And so the correction is something that you're actually excited about because you know that if this is who he is, then what he's doing here is for the purpose of restoration of my soul. And then you can also sit at a table that he prepared for you in the presence of who? Your enemies. Again, he didn't start off with, I'm going to sit you at a table with, with your enemies and we'll see how you make it out in that conversation and then we'll throw you into the... Uh, into the, the horrible valley of the shadow of death, and then we'll get you at the very end of this, ver uh, this chapter, the very end of this process, then you get to experience this wonderful, restful place besides still waters. No, you realize whenever you, were, whenever you gave your life to Christ that he died for your sins, wiped them completely away. He is the one who gives freedom and hope and joy unspeakable joy over anything else you can try to do on your own. You realize that I am a sinner and I, I have fallen short of the standard of the glory of God. And so I need a savior in order to have right relationship with God. And so I give my life to Christ as Christ gave his life for me to restore me. I now give my life to him. You did that because you knew that he is the one that could provide for these things for you. So you started with the Psalm 23 verse one method in your life when you gave your life to and so when, whenever John says we need to get back to our first love, you guys are doing great, well-oiled machine. Church of Ephesus, you guys are doing awesome, but you have forgotten your first love. Your first love was that he loved you so much that he gave his life for you. And in that, you understand that he is the one that provides you restoration. So that in anything else that you go through, 
you know that he is the good shepherd. And in the book of John, he said, my sheep know my voice. So when we hear a, the beautiful voice of correction, it is not so that you can feel lesser than or lowly or insignificant. It's so that you can remember the restorative nature of Jesus Christ and what God does for you as the good shepherd. And that this will actually bring you into more peaceful rest in him and not cause you more grief or heartache than what you may feel in the current trajectory that you're going into. But when we refuse to take the voice of correction, when we refuse to live in a community where we can have, uh, we can have great accountability, then you're going to lose sight and lose the sound of his voice. And it's not that he won't speak again. It's not that he's not going to reach out to you. But you have kind of turned the dial down a little bit more. And it's going to take something substantial for his voice to break into your life to where you understand that I've been messing around a little too much. Are you guys with me? You guys okay? Okay. This is a beautiful reminder. We need to cleanse the temple. Cleanse your temple. I reminded you last week. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus mentions this whenever he cleanses the temple. And then Paul mentions this in talking to, uh, to, the, to the Gentile believers in different churches. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we cannot allow tomfoolery to be happening inside of this temple whenever the Spirit of God is living here. He is here. And so if we want the benefits of actually having right relationship with him, hearing his voice and responding to the things that he's asking us to do, then it's going to be very hard for us to adequately worship him and give him the adoration that he deserves with every breath that we have. Worship is not just what we do here. This is one form of worship, but it is not the antithesis of worship. Actually, the lifestyle that you live and the understanding and your adoration to the Lord should be something that is eventful and recognizable in these moments but this should not be the thing that drives you to worship your relationship with god should drive you into worship as the good shepherd you want to return to him at every moment that you have so my challenge to you is to continue to go through this process of asking the lord lord is there a tobiah in my temple in this storehouse where i'm not able to offer you worship the way that I need to? Am I allowing activity in my life to to overwhelm the process of what it should mean to give God praise? Am I being like Hophni and Phinehas where I'm trying to take my own version of provision or am I putting my faith in you and what you can provide for me? So let's stand this, this morning as we begin to close. Romans 8.26 says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, 
We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, he will, or how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have good news. We have good news. God is gracious, he is slow to anger, he is patient, he is kind, he is full of joy, and he has a standard, a standard of holiness. We are supposed to be ones who are, who are recognizable, not by just the things that we say, but our actions and our activity. That should reflect a life lived Christ. So Father, we come to you this morning desiring to hear your voice, desiring to understand what it means for us to adequately follow you. Lord, we don't want to just be Sunday morning believers and leave you at the door as we walk out of this place, but we want to give you glory in everything that we say, in everything that we do. So, Father, I come right now. I come against any kind of behavior or thought pattern that, that, that any one of us could have in this room right now that does not serve you, that tries to overcompensate and tries to take advantage of things, tries to make a way for our own selves. And I speak life into each and every one of these people right now in Jesus' name. Lord, help us be people who return to the still waters. Let us be people who remember that you are the good shepherd. Let us remember that you provide for us and that it is in your love for us that we can then love others as well. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. 
Thank you for your sacrifice. And thank you that you were not just a martyr who went and died for a good cause, but that you provided salvation in the raising from the dead. We now have a future as the temple of the Holy Spirit to live with you all the days that we live. That just like the psalmist wrote in Psalm 23, that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will not fear evil because you are with us. You don't just leave us to walk on our own, to do things on ourselves, on our own, by ourselves, but you are with us. That when we're in the presence of enemies, you've prepared that table so we can have confidence that you will provide for us in those moments. You overflow and overwhelm our cup. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. As we dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So I pray a blessing over each and every one of these amazing people in this room. Lord, as as they walk out the doors, that they will have their ears tuned to hear your voice and respond to correction. Lord, that you will put people, more people in our lives who can help bring us to great points of accountability. Not so that people can glorify us, but that they can glorify you in everything that we do. We love you, we love you, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. If you would like some prayer, we'd love to pray with you this this afternoon. Otherwise, you guys go have, have lunch with somebody. Have an amazing rest of your Sunday and a great start to the week. I will see you guys in a week and a half.